What is up, everyone? My name is Kyle, the one true Kyle, and I'm here with my new co-host. Introduce yourself. Um, I'm Danny, the untrue Danny. The untrue. The untrue. I, I, I wanted to be some sort of antithesis to that, but I mean, you, you didn't leave me with many options. Eventually, essentially what Kyle's saying is one of us only tells lies and the other one only tells truths and we will leave it to you to figure out <laughs> in this well, very confusing it. podcast. Yes, we're going to make this as hard as possible for you as much <laughs> as much as possible. We could also gonna, go by you could go by D-Bones, right? D-Bones. We could, I could go by D-Bones. That's my <laughs> jazz name according to this app I downloaded once on my phone that just asked me for. I think by name, my birth date, and some other weird bit of information, and then it like compiled like a name and was like, your jazz name would be D Bones, and then my friend's name, he was like Jared, and it like said he was gonna be J J Leg or Legs Legsy J Legsy J. That's what it was. I, was. I was like, damn, this thing is hitting it on all cylinders. Like it knows how to jazz up some names. But... Legsy J sounds like a snitch, though. Oh, Legsy J does sound, but it also does sound like kind of like a smooth jazz like like trumpet player. Legsy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. he I'm plays probably. every Saturday night at the Troubadour. But, <laughs> but he has so much shit on everyone, and you're just like, fuck. He pays attention to everything. Lacey J is just gonna squeal one day. He doesn't miss nothing, and he's got a big mouth. But he's a great trumpet player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta do it in like that '20s voice, like Lacey J. You see, he's 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 not he's 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 uh he's he's not a trusty one. I'm not good at those. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm, I gotta work on my voices. I'm not. I'm not great at voices. That's you my just, next. Do you my like next the, fa- the Family Guy, the like the fast talking high trousers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need a new pair of pants. I got you a new pair of pants. All, all made of great fibers. Fibers of cotton, cotton denim, and and everything you love of your pants. Please, please buy what I'm selling. Oh God, I'm dying here. Oh God, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying on stage here. That's it. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be known as a stink oil salesman over here. Stink. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm fine. I'm fine with Danny. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny, it is. Danny, Danny is here. He is. He is going to be my 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 second my second hand to this journey because I can't do this alone. But we are talking House of. No, we're not. We're talking Powers of X. Powers of X. Target identified. Initiate capture. Target? Capture? House of X was last time. Last week. Yeah, last House of X. We talked a lot about Moira. Man, she gets around. Oh, she literally gets around the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, she gets around the multiverse. Oh, man. Oh, that's interesting. She really does get around the multiverse. But, I mean, more on how Myra uses her uterus for her advantage later on. We'll dive into Proteus. Yes. And that's, that'll be a future. That's future, that's future powers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, powers of X. Powers this of X is issue the, number two. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's... this is the second of the powers of X. Like, this is, this is the big one. This is the one that introduces the concept of how the AI work. Like, this one is, my goodness. Yes, so I I watched, I watched a I watched a a video a YouTube video uh, um, kind of their promotional video for House of X and Powers of X um, and what's his name CJ CB Sibolsky uh, Sibolsky yeah. yeah he call he refers to it as Powers of Ten 
He doesn't call it powers of X. He calls it powers of 10, which kind of makes sense because it goes by a factor of 10, right? You go year one, year 10, year 100, year 1,000. But I just it doesn't sound right when I say powers of 10. It has the it has that like tandem literation sound that you can kind of get from like saying powers of X, house of X. It kind of it fits together in the way it just kind of rolls off the tongue. Plus, powers of 10 sounds confusing as a comic book title. House of X and Powers of X kind of fall back to older X Men titles, you know, like House of M. And House of M. It sounds yeah. natural saying Powers uh, House of uh, X. At first, I was like, "That's an interesting." I get what they're going for, but when you say it out loud, you're like, "Oh, it it, it works, it works." Whereas Powers of Ten is like a very interesting and provocative name for a comic book. If you didn't know it was X Men, you definitely would be like, "What is this about?" Powers of Ten. <laughs> is it about math? It's I'll about read yeah, it. like anything I'll read it. math related is going to turn. But it's going to be weird. <laughs> what are they trying to teach me math through comics now? They're really trying. <laughs> They're trying way too hard, man. What are, what are you doing here? But yeah, uh, suppose so. Apparently, it is called Powers of Ten. Um, but fuck that. We're calling it Powers of X here. I'm fine with that. I can live with it. <laughs> I am definitely fine with that. So let's start off this issue. In this first issue, we start off with. Moira and Charles Xavier, they're on a boat. They're heading to an island. This island is Island M. and <laughs> Island M. Cleverly named such. Cleverly named Island M. Also, it's, it's located specifically, uh, according to Hickman, in the Bermuda Triangle, which I found interesting. Oh, see, I missed that. I, I, I didn't even notice that it was in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, so I, I assume it's like a, a mysterious island that no one could find. Only that, only Charles could find. I can see what they're going with there. That makes sense. Because, like, where else could you be mysterious besides the, I mean, the Bermuda Triangle? If you want a secret island that no one can find, put it there. That's the place to go, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hands down. So uh, Moira and Charles Xavier goes and to meet. They go to meet... Xavier, he's just hanging out, you know, being a loner, what he always does, you know, being himself. <laughs> in his in his M tower on his M island, I mean, Magneto really really likes that letter. <laughs> I get it. It's his it's his moniker, but what a weird symbolism to like sell. Like he, once again, going back to the old cartoon, like he had the Magneto like copter or whatever his little Magneto vehicle he'd ride around in. Mm-hmm. Like that had a giant <laughs> M on it, and it, it was like the asteroid M. It's, asteroid M, yeah. It's like Magneto is just really taking the simplest approach to his his like uh, marketing for his mutant liberation. He's like, just get behind the M. He's like trying to revolutionize the M, like the Nike symbol, but for mutant freedom. Yeah, could, yeah. He's like, I could he's... Take it, but it's still funny as hell. I wish he threw like metal M's, like he had a bunch of them oh, like, on him, great. like batarangs. But he'd take them off, and he just like, ah, <laughs> 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 just, oh, just just metal M batarangs just being thrown everywhere, and he's just like, ha ha, metal. <laughs> the M is for metal. <laughs> he replaces his dope symbol that he has on his his crest. He gets rid of it and puts an M there eventually. <laughs> oh, it's like Magneto, you're taking this villain role like way too cliche and tropey. Right? I mean, he's on an island in an isolated location in the Bermuda Triangle where no one could find him all alone just by himself looking off into the distance. That's like evil villain cliche right there, right? It's just (laughs) This is what I've become. This is me. Trope has devoured me. I am one with it. Save me, Charles. (laughs) Charles. I can't eat this one. 
<laughs> I've been standing here for 10 years. Don't you understand? All I know how to do is menace. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even see. <laughs> the artist didn't even draw my face. It's like shadow. It's all darkness. I can't even find my face. It's all covered and shrouded in shadows. Charles, do you see how this subterfuge? Do you see it? <laughs> I can't even get through it. The subterfuge clouds me. <laughs> Suffocates me. Oh, man. So they were able to arrive to free him from that. And that's the fortunate turn is that yes. if they would have never showed up, Magneto would still be standing there. He would still be standing there, like, for all eternity. Like... <laughs> Even in year that, like, I would love to see that what if story where it's just like, what if Magneto just stood there and it's just like 10 pages of him just sitting there. And then maybe the last page is just ascension happens because like he stood there for a thousand years and then AI just ascended all of humanity. And he's like, okay. And that's it. He just stood there the whole time. <laughs> he just wrote it out. He he did what he did in the, the X-Men The End where he like, he, he evolves further down his like mutation and turns into like pure living energy but he's just chilling there as an energy ghost standing off he's like oh a seagull (laughs) (laughs) my my purpose in this in this life for moira is to be right here and if i leave (laughs) this i will fuck up the timeline (laughs) but at least they convince him pretty easily with this uh beautiful trick they introduced last time called the let me get you up to speed mind read yeah let's just let me read your mind but before they do that they they play their 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 whole banter game charles and xavier they're like hello old friend and and they banter for a while and i love that moira just steps in and is like okay let me just tell you both of your guys's plans fail and you're both wrong and i love that i love that moment where there's just like hello old friend yes yes it's been a while blah 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 friends rivalry blah 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 chess game blah 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 and Moira's just like, all right, let me get to the point. <laughs> it's like they're trying to set up their chessboard, and she just comes out and smacks it off the table. It's like, no, none of that. We're not doing none this. None of that. We're, We're not, not doing playing that. this game anymore. No. We're not. We're <laughs> skipping it. We're getting past it. We're gonna. I'm going to bring you You're up to speed. We're just, let's just get to the next phase. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's tried it. I'm not going to die that way again. <laughs> <laughs> the Hulk hit me in the face six times. I was dead after the second one. <laughs> but then Charles, he says this line. He says, then open your mind to me. Open it up to us. And together we will figure it out. What To figure out what to do about tomorrow. And and Xavier's just like, fine. Or, Charles, or Magneto's just like, fine, whatever. I'll fucking touch Reluctant, your head. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, <laughs> I, I have to move this plot forward, so I can't really fight you. Let's do it. Yes, and that's that's when he he goes into like my Charles, my brain, my my brain, Charles. I see everything, and he's he, he's shown like everything from past lives, from Moira's past lives, um, and he sees he sees what is reality. It's all how it went down for him, like straightforward, and like was like, oh, so it doesn't work. Thank God I can't. I don't have to stand here. God damn it! I don't. Yeah. God damn. I was. Really, I was really planning on just staying here until the day I died. But thank you for bringing this to light. I can move. I can move. I can, I can be free of my my curse of having to be this menacing villain that was like a fucking joke that can't fucking succeed at anything. And now he actually succeeds. It seems like every time Magneto joins up with the X Men and helps them towards their cause, he seems more successful and more badass and more like accomplished. Which is weird, because, like, he's the quintessential, like, X-Men villain. Like, the person right. 
that embodies the opposite of Xavier. So really, like it's 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 unfortunate that his success ratio or like his portrayal or failures, if you will, is is kind of comical. Though I know that's due to the earlier '60s writing, but I mean, still, there's some stuff in the '90s or Magneto's just like his arrogance turns him into a joke. I don't know. The t- in the yeah. teens, or not the teens, the early 2000s, like say from like 2006 to, to like 2004 range is when Magneto really started to step up and become more badass and kind of work more with the X-Men, but also be more autonomous. He stopped being more of a mutant and being more realistic about what's going on with the mutants and all that stuff. And then they did a soft reboot on Magneto recently where they, they kind of brought him us up to speed on his origin and explain like why even though he's super old, he's very agile. It's like another thing where he's like, "Well, my mutant magnetism keeps me great," <laughs> which is kind of cool. But still, yeah. that that was at least closer to all what's going down with House of X and to build up with this greater story plot. So it didn't have too much of like the older Marvel eshings of like five years ago. Which yeah, I'm fine with that. So it seems like. It, 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 in this scenario, you get a Magneto that's kind of like what happened during when he joined up uh, with Scott Summers, mm-hmm. but le- but less of like him being a, a background character and more of actually flexing that Magneto awesomeness in the fo- in the main ground, like right up in your face. Like, Look, I'm Magneto. I'm here. I'm helping, and I'm I'm actually like relevant again and like portrayed well. Instead yeah. of just being you know, that buffoon, like that bumbling villain of the because week. they gave a lot of like Cyclops's traits over the last ten years to uh, Magneto in many ways, and, and gave him back to Cyclops in reverse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They kind of role reverse, which is really weird. It's bizarre. It didn't fit. It just it was <laughs> a weird. It was a weird choice. I mean, I mean, I get where who that was pretty much all Bendis's work, right? More or less. Would you say that was? Yes, oh. Bendis had a lot of hand in the, the a lot of the weird status quo changes in like the early teens with the x-men i i was not a fan of any of that so didn't he do avengers versus x-men yes yeah yeah, yeah that was yeah. bendis not a fan not a fan, not a fan. Not i like fan. early bendis like uh, actually avengers versus it was pointless and stupid but it was ultimately entertaining unlike avenger or x-men versus inhumans which was just nonsense true but didn't adventures vs. x-men feel kind of like a weird what if that just kept going on it was that's what i felt like it was like a what if because that was the whole phoenix five right the whole yeah yeah and then then they had like five what ifs about the adventures versus x-men that just felt the like they were going deeper down the rabbit hole <laughs> i was like what is happening here what is happening yeah i did like i, I like the concept of the phoenix five and that it was split amongst five people and it felt like that jet lee movie the one where like each time one of the phoenixes yes. gets uh gets That's erased the other one gets yeah. pa- more powerful yeah they, they in the power dispute uh, evenly distributes across all of them so it was just weird though because i get that the phoenix force kind of makes people drunk with power and it portrays their emotions and their personas differently mm-hmm. but that their character actions in their their ideals were so bizarre like do you remember like colossus was like creating whales with like legs that could walk around and like he was like evolving animals and he was like trying to play god and all this weird stuff and i'm like yeah 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 yeah. it was a weird heel turn for apocalypse i mean he was already weird before that because he became the juggernaut which was cool but then also strange but still i i dug it i dug it it was an interesting one their character portrayals when they're and like Scott is the villain, like this antithesis of I always felt like he was the Captain America of the mutants that someday he was going to just turn into like the perfect version of what Charles wanted. 
and like proper succeed the X-Men, but he, he never really recovered from what happened when Claremont was writing him and he suffered all that tragedy with the Dark Phoenix saga. And I feel the writers after him just took him further and further down an emo, dark, uh, angsty path. And that's what kind of ruined him. And he, I don't know. Now Cyclops seems kind of fun, but then it's also everyone kind of seems a little bit out of character in most of Hickman's writing. Not too far out of character where you can't recognize him, but there is a little bit like something's, something's off. Especially like later on when we notice they show up with other family members and deceased characters and all that kind of shenanigans. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a weird moment. Yeah. And everyone's just like, we're all super cool and happy about things. And life is great. And I'm like, I don't understand if any of you people remember the last like five or six years. <laughs> I just don't get why they chose that to be issue number one. I guess we should talk about this another time, but like yeah, that, be just that, one, yeah. oh man, just that having like be, make that issue number two. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like kind of added in at a, a later plot, like a turning point. That's even more of like a midway point. <laughs> like right? they fought a war, they rebuilt their their kin their kinship and understanding, and then they they all have good character like chemistry. And now this is like the midway point before something bad's about to pop off. And I mean, maybe something bad is about to pop off. Maybe right that's now. yeah. Maybe yeah. like shit's about to go down with Vulcan. Like literally next week, like whatever issue comes out next could be crazy. Like, could be. Yeah. yeah, but I, I'm just down for some more Vulcan later on. We'll see. We'll see. So before we move on, I just I'm just curious, like, what would you if you were in these two positions, you were Charles or Magneto, would you be the more militant person or would you be the more kind of compassionate human being and try to bring uh, compassion and reasoning behind it? Or would you be more like Magneto and just rule with an iron fist and and be be the evolutionary genetic uh person that you're you're destined to be which one would you choose it would be a tough it would be a tough decision if i had to weigh it from multiple points like if i use moral objectivity i could lean towards charles but that's like an idealism that's kind of inbred in, in a human feeling, just like this one of like wanting the best of everything for everyone, even though that's still idealism. It's baked into like kind of going back to more of an animalistic uh, nature inside us. But Magneto just seems fun. Like it just right? yeah. Magneto is just awesome. Like he's this unspoken mutant royalty. Like he's he's like a king amongst mutant kind without there actually being like a mutant kingdom. He's he's the unspoken king to the, the mutant crown. Where yeah. he stands he's got that nobility, that royalty feel to him where he stands out and has a presence and he's like, I am this one that is above all and not one to be mistaken for some low life which is not always his perfect portrayal and some other things but overall the predominant magneto portrayal is something of much more grandeur than many people tend to take notice or can miss and it's it's one of those things where it'd be fun to be a part of that it would be fun to have that kind of demeaning presence and be someone on top of like a, a whole society or kingdom like have that because it's that's his, his fear he feels like He's he loves his kingdom of mutants and he doesn't want his mutant subjects to fall or die. But at the same time, I feel he does have that king's arrogance that kind of gets to him. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, I would totally choose Magneto as well. Yeah, but like so, that's a political thing. It's a yeah. political choice where it's like, are you? It's it's is it 
the philosophical like road that you want to go down or is it the the character portrayal so you could split it in two ways like the persona or the political stance that's true but if you look at it like as how stanley meant to write it these characters are supposed to represent malcolm x and uh Martin Luther King, uh, right? Okay, yeah. So if you look at it from that perspective, I would argue MLK kind of is rose to the top over Malcolm X in terms of culture, right? Like we have a Martin Luther King day. We don't have a Malcolm X day. True. It's true. You're right. And the more aggressive responses tend to be the ones that are always demonized, even though the outcomes are usually meant for a more positive upswing. But in the end of the day, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to overcome the story of wanting to use love or understanding or compassion, the inclusion, the sympathy, because the aggressive the aggressive hand is gonna scare off people. It's like the old saying: you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. Yeah. So that's that's just more of a simplification. But it, in the same turn, you do find out here even what Moira dives into is like Charles's idea doesn't work either. It's like in our political system in a weird way where you could look at like small appeasement and small compromise just gets us in circles or doesn't move us fast enough to outrun the chaos or the impending doom. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that is the flaw in Charles's approach. But that Magneto's approach could work if I feel he was on like an apocalypse level maybe like with his drive. Mm-hmm. Plus apocalypse levels of a power, maybe even greater. I don't know. Maybe it's pretty strong. It's hard to tell what his limitations are. There are times where he's like, I can rip the earth in half. And then the other times where he's like, you've got wooden paddles. <laughs> you've got wooden paddles and I don't know how to take all these metal yeah. handcuffs. I don't know how yeah. that happens. <laughs> <laughs> guys. I'm done. Man. Oh, man. He'll never live that down. And it's like, I love the guy, but some people just write him really differently. <laughs> Yeah. Some people make him badass, and other people are just like, yeah. Like when he was fighting Iron Man, he gave up on like trying to beat him because he realized the Phoenix Force was coming and he could sense it. And he sensed all the people dying, just like reaching out through the electromagnetic spectrum. Like he was literally tapping into the electromagnetic force to pull in energy to just defeat Iron Man with one move during Avengers vs. X Men. And when he was doing that, he realized, oh shit. There are hundreds of thousands of beings out there dying because of what's about to, the impending Phoenix Force and what's happening. And it awestrucks him into like disbelief. And that allows Iron Man to just leave and book it and like take off. But I mean, at one point he threw a building at him and that was dope. That was I, I have that as like a wallpaper. So. <laughs> nice. I still love the moment where uh, Magneto just goes, fuck it. I'm done with you, X Men. And he just rips out all the adamantium from. Uh, from Wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like, all right, I'm done here. I'm done with you guys right now. And he makes like an example of him, and I'm just like, damn. And he turns into feral Wolverine that has no nose, which was in Bone Claws. In Bone Claws, yeah. Which is weird, and people are just like, oh, you just have claws under there. Oh, so yeah. It's not like that's not the adamantium just popping out. You, you just. Generally have claws. Okay. <laughs> cool. Just there. All right. Cool. All right. I like the writing decision that came up to that because you know that wasn't the case. It was adamantium at one point, and then oh, it was, yeah. like, and the staff was like, "Well, wait. If we take the adamantium, like Wolverine doesn't have his claws anymore. Like, how do we? How do we make him? He just punches people, and they're just like, um, okay, he has bone claws. <laughs> he has bone claws. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, they just yeah, hit a moment where, like Wolverine <laughs> is just a hairy, angry dude who just really short, just goes around and pummels. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a 
feral dude, like a crazy just, man. He just scratches ah, people with his hands. Like, hand. <laughs> <laughs> Someone get this mental patient off of me. <laughs> what is he doing? I'm getting. You, you couldn't kill him, so they're just shooting him over and over again. <laughs> just gunning him down. <laughs> he doesn't have his adamantium, he's just constantly being brought down. <laughs> he, just, he just keeps scratching you, and you're just like, oh my god, he's not doing anything to me. I can't shoot him. He's I can't do anything to him, but he's clearly not doing anything to me with these scratches. <laughs> gnawing into my arm. He's about to bite off a chunk of flesh. Get this animal off of me. They like get the they get like animal control to like put those the little like right. stick with the stick the loop at the end and like pull him back. In like a hundred or two hundred more scratches, he might actually break blood. We got to get him off me, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be fine, but I might get an infection. Like Jesus Christ, man! I need some ointment. <laughs> Do yeah. they call that dude the Wolverine? Oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely agree. Well, like, uh, that was a dope scene, though. That was that's, that's that's dope scene. as as one of that his is... most impressive points, and he he has those, but you don't you don't get him enough uh, recently. And this is one of the first times where his presence is really oh. respected again. And it's great because he's like very unwavering. And even in this moment where like he's just like eh, whatever, Charles. And then he reads his mind. Even after he reads his mind, he goes, "This is the line he says." He says, "I won't acquiesce to sympathy or doubt, Charles. I won't give an inch. I will check you at every moment of weakness. Yep. And if you falter, know that I will not." Yeah. It. He threw it down the gauntlet and said, like, if you if you hesitate for a second, I will go full force and and, yeah. we, and I will deal with the consequences. Because he, he knows everything now. Me. He knows everything now. Like more. He saw more of his past lives. He saw what Xavier saw. He knows everything. So like even what like Charles rhetoric at this point doesn't matter anymore. He's just like, all right, I'm in. But do not do not do anything to make me think that you're going to quit or falter or fall behind or become weak in a moment because I will not. Yeah, he will spare no vengeance. He will spare no swift justice. There will be times where I think it's going to come to a crossroad and they're going to be like, oh, man, like we can't respond like this. And Magneto is like already just like, ah, murdered. Like I, I have a feeling we're going to see some big heroes at some point. Because you notice there's been a severe lack, except for that one panel, there's been a severe lack of, like, influx in the later stories of, like, other characters outside the X-Men-verse. Like the <laughs> X-Men uh, family, if you will. Yeah. Like absolutely. Avengers and other people like that. I have a feeling some of those people are going to come up in to, to play later on, and they're going to suffer. Like, Magneto's going to kill someone big name. I see that coming. I just know it's going to happen. That's going to be a big, that's going to be that moment yes, where Charles is tested exactly. and Magneto's just going to be like, I don't care. I'm just killing the dude. Bah. Yeah. And I'm excited for that moment because it's going to create that tension that we saw and it's going to essentially bring X-Men back to uh, normalcy or as we know it, right? Where, where yeah. Magneto is the bad guy, Xavier is the good guy, where we're, we're, there's compelling arguments on each side and we watch them play out. But as, as of now, this is this moment that we see. Is definitely laying the grounds for for something in the future where we're we're gonna get a disagreement between the two and we're gonna see a divide and we're gonna see a split. Or it overcomes it. There's like a crazy twist where they actually both come together on there. They both re reach like a middle ground where they both find a happy outcome. Oh, where they somehow like overcome the odd without having to break away of any of their pride or their values. Could you imagine a moment in the future where this happens and actually Magneto hesitates and Xavier executes? Oh, that would be even another twist. That would be insane, right? Oh. 
We're that would be interesting. It's dangerous, though. We're going into Onslaught Ooh. territory, and we don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, Onslaught. Uh. <laughs> oh. Ooh. That is a road less traveled. But. All right. But so, yeah, no. Great, great, yeah. great clash of ideas. And yeah, like I said, gun to my head, Magneto all the way. Because it's Magneto just. Magneto all the way. It, it's, yeah. too, it's too majestic to not want to be Magneto. I mean, okay. Charles is great and all, but. His idealism is just going to get him killed each time. <laughs> Every time. And yeah. So this is all taking place at year one, which we did not mention. This is Powers of X or Powers of Ten, whatever you want to call it. But where we, we, we jump around uh, and we jump around from year one to year ten. And year ten, we're introduced to um, Cyclops is talking to uh, Xavier on Krakoa about the Mother Mold. And we're we're essentially getting the we're starting to understand the concept of what the mother mold is, and what what is happening with these AIs that are that are taking place. Um, nothing really compelling story wise. I want to say it's just kind of setting up the concept that there is a mother mold out there. It's already built, and essentially Xavier's like. I think they introduce uh, Nimrod. They or they 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 describe the concept of Nimrod, and yes. this is this is what I like most is that like essentially Xavier's like you need to do this Cyclops, and Cyclops is like I I will do whatever it takes, and and this is kind of like a moment or that's what it is. Um, essentially, uh, Cyclops says, does the, does it need do, does it need doing? As in, does this need to be taken care of? And Xavier says, yes. And then Cyclops says, then it will be done. And this is kind of like a... We were talking earlier about uh, Cyclops uh, being kind of that... Uh, that taking on Magneto's role as that that kind of militant person, right? Yeah. And this is kind of like... This is kind of a moment where we see uh, Cyclops being that classic Cyclops. He's that Boy Scout character again. He's like that. He's following Boy orders. Man, yeah, that scout, the fucking leader yeah. of of just like taking on this this ordeal without being hesitant about it. Not so much yeah. internal doubt anymore. This never questioned. Cut like a knife right now. Yeah, never questioned Xavier whatsoever. He's just like, does this need to be done? And he's like, yes. Then I will do it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that's it, that's interesting. I, I like that. I like seeing. I don't know. Do I like that? Yeah. I mean, is, I did not like. I didn't like the militant version of Cyclops at all too much. I don't know. What, what's your what's your opinion on it? Well, it's a, it's a weird gray area because Cyclops has like kind of a militant approach towards the end of, um, the end of like the late two thousands when they're sw- shifting over before the Avengers or X Men stuff. There's that militant approach of like trying to keep mutants are an endangered species. Mutants are dying. Mutants are dropping in a number where we'll eventually be extinct if we don't do anything to stop this. And so he takes a more aggressive approach to try to keep everyone alive, almost in the way Magneto would do, but not a hundred percent because he still has that Xavier ideal in mind, but he does have a side that kind of has that militant like approach to things. That's why he puts together X-Force again and he puts like Wolverine in charge of it and he's like, I need you to go do missions that the X-Men can't be doing that the rest of us shouldn't be a part of. I need you to do the darker stuff. And that's why he put like people like Wolverine and X-23 and more like unspoken. Deadpool, right? Oh, Deadpool and um, oh gosh, was it Warpath? 
like Thunderbirds, like brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, so many people. There was a bunch of like Archangel got on it. That though that or that era of X Force was the best. Like I don't give a crap about the Rob Liefeld stuff. I really don't. I don't <laughs> like people like that, but I I don't care for Rob Liefeld really as much as I see a lot of people caring. You don't, and, you don't like you don't like po- a lot of pouches and tiny feet. I don't like massive shoulder pads and tiny feet. <laughs> yeah, Liefeld just doesn't like to draw feet, and when he does, they're weird. But yeah, so I wasn't weird. a fan of that X Force. Like I mean, that stuff was interesting, but. The later on stuff was much more just provocative. I mean, they had like a problem where they go they go through time and they have to deal with like uh, apocalypse in the future yeah. and they find Deadpool in a fucking like refrigerator. He's been there for like a hundred years. <laughs> he's just been trapped in a fridge. <laughs> he's like he's like crazy, but like that kind of stuff was great. That was and great, I, yeah. And I enjoyed I enjoyed what came out of that and that mentality and that era Cyclops. Like I like the no nonsense Cyclops. We're like when the mutant registration stuff started happening during Civil War, where they're like, you got to pick a side. And Cyclops is like, no, mutants have had to register before. We want really nothing to do with this. Like, you just leave us alone and we'll we'll stay out of it. And that's what it kind of boiled down to. It's like Cyclops is, a, is like a, a Boy Scout when he's like trying to play by the rules. But if, if anyone comes and crosses any mutants, he's willing to play dirty to, to keep the mutants alive. Whereas Magneto, it's much more of an arrogance thing. Cyclops is much more of like a... It's very militaristic. It's militant, but it's got that tactical military-like understanding behind it, which Magneto doesn't. He has charisma. He has, you know, very emboldened ideas and grandeur, but and a drive and a will like no one else, but still, like, he doesn't have that tactics that Cyclops has. I kind of always saw this militant Cyclops is, like, lost because... He was such, like, so, like, committed to Charles Xavier's, uh, like, goal. And, like, when, like, he wasn't there for them and he abandoned the X-Men and uh, Cyclops had to take over, I feel like he was kind of, like, lost. And he was just like, well, fuck, I don't know what to do. Magneto was pretty cool. Maybe I'll act like him now. And I kind of got that vibe where he's just like, well... I followed this guy that I believed in my whole life for most of my life. And now he betrayed us and I don't know what to do type of situation. So he kind of like looked out to other leaders and he's like, well, Magneto kind of rules with the iron fist. Maybe I'll try that type of situation. I kind of got that vibe a little bit. I can, I can understand what you're going for. It almost feels like a, a rejection of like a parental's like beliefs and philosophical yes. stance and, and an embracement of the antithesis just to, for like to the sake of being the opposite. And that's where the immaturity comes out of it. And it really gets hammed up later on. Like they take it in the Avengers versus X-Men era, the dark years as we like to know them. The dark times, I believe is what they're called. Yeah. The dark times. By Hickman. <laughs> By Hickman. <laughs> so from here more known as the dark times, um, he turned. They turned that shit to eleven, and he even starts dressing like Magneto. He puts the red on. He had that red X, and he shoots that weird red X octic blast. It was so. It was kind of like Magneto and his M's aside, like an X optic. An blast X optic so, blast, yeah. It was so campy. I was like, "What are you doing here? This doesn't make him more endearing and cooler. No. It makes him like a like a mascot. Like he's a pun." I like X-blast. the outfit. I like the outfit up until they did that, and I was yeah. like, oh, "Okay." Yeah, but yeah, trying to make them do Magneto just didn't work because there's too much different difference in their skill set and their underlying motivations. And overall, it just was it was a weird 
I feel it was a weird um, editorial choice by Marvel just to kind of force the you know the quintessential leader of the X Men, the X Men version of Captain America. For many years, I've always noticed that allegory is that Scott kind of felt like the tactical military, like revolutionary or not revolutionary, mm-hmm. but savior type. Like he had that kind of role that he he played. And it felt like that was an opposing character that Marvel didn't want to elevate because Fox would just look good with it in their character. He's in like a lot of their movies, even though they really dicked him around in some of them. The more recent ones at that time, like First Class, he started getting implemented and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I see they kind of pushed him to the limelight and brought him down. It was weird. There were so many bizarre like choices made for him, but it's just like I get it. I get what they're doing editorially and why Cy- Cyclops just kind of fell off. And they essentially killed him and like. When he was in the Phoenix, like, five or whatever, like, when he was one of the entities, it was weird. It was just Cyclops. He even kills Charles Xavier and all this. He was like a, a child, like, having a tantrum. You yeah. Xavier, just have a stroke. <laughs> 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 I have the power of the Phoenix. Look how cool I am in my weird red Speedo. <laughs> it's strange. But yeah, this this Cyclops is more. It, this is before that tipping point. This is like him a little bit after old school, like despondent Cyclops, like after Claremont's era where he kind of started to drift off. But before he drifted too far into the weird emo, angry child realm during the dark times. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But um, I'm liking what Hickman's doing. I, it seems like. He's bringing back Cyclops to what we, what the fans at least thought of him originally. Um, yeah, and I'm cool with that. I like that. It just yeah. it's, it, it, it works for his character. His character's been all over the place for their decade. He needs to have like a a firm like reboot, if you will. I guess this Cyclops has felt the most Cyclopsiest of the Cyclopses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh man what if they had did the time display cyclops ever fight alongside regular cyclops did they ever dual optic blast someone no I mean but they were both in Avengers vs. X-Men no they weren't or am I thinking of X-Men vs. Inhumans yeah, you think X-Men okay? I'm thinking of X-Men and versus yeah, because yeah. yeah, they did that. They did that. The children, or not that something of the Adam story arc is where they brought them in, and that was like a year or so after Avengers versus X-Men, and that was like the next big shoddy X-Men arc where you're just like, damn, no, they 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 are really pushing this series down. <laughs> but yeah, that's a different rant for a different time. It just would have been nice if they if they both did it, an optic blast next to each other. And they called it like they called it a just a dual eye beam or something. <laughs> something <laughs> <in their eyes. laughs> Optic sight. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, they could have you like a, a beautiful nickname. <laughs> they could. You could build a lot of nicknames off of that. You would think, right? You would think. <laughs> Wait, but wasn't the uh, wasn't like Iceman like? So Iceman's gay, right? But that's the young Iceman, right? But that was the Iceman that was introduced in Marauders. I know I'm getting ahead of myself right now. I know the old Iceman, I guess they retconned him as to be gay as well because the young Iceman and apparently the old Iceman are yeah. from... They're not alternate universe versions of themselves. They're, 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 they're yeah. actual and, same universe, and which the is idea, still weird. 
the idea is that like the old Iceman is closeted like, or something. He's closeted because he just he had that he was fighting for mutant rights his whole life that he just never had a chance to. <laughs> he wanted to like, pick one of his battles. Yeah, he picked a battle where his young, young privileged Iceman with all his privilege and his fucking money and whatnot. <laughs> he's like, well, fuck it, I'm gay. I'll fucking <laughs> suck suck this dick. I'll suck that dick. I'll suck a frozen dick right now, <laughs> like a popsicle. Where's the Nora at North Star? Let's get a three-way go. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's one of those weird things, though, where I'm like, you're you're retconning a Golden Age like character that's had like legitimate like relationships, but like they never really touch on that kind of stuff. Right, so it's yeah. weird, and I'm just like, what? I mean, they already have characters that fit these roles that a lot of the, the comic book companies try to write for them, or they're like... It's like the Breakfast Club where they're like, we got to have a flavor of each person. Yep. And and we didn't feel like the original X-Men were ethnic or diverse or some form of particular like color that they needed to match up to their swatch. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just retcon people. That's what they, they've been doing that in comics a long time in a lot of areas. The thing that sucks is that the characters that actually already were that organically don't get written. They don't get like where why couldn't they just elevate North Star or Noel or any anyone who already is written that way? Like why change a character to fit that quota when you could just write for characters that already organically exist in the realm of what you want? Like that's lazy writing. That's like why why push another character up to just push another character down? Like it's one step forward and one step back kind of situation. You yeah, know? exactly. It's weird. Yeah. But you know, come on. I mean, I I'd be down for some more North Star. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Alpha Flight characters. They're ridiculous. Let's get North There's Star. So Let's bring weird. back Puck. I want Sasquatch. I want them all, man. <laughs> Let's get Wolverine on a team with them. I want Alpha Flight. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Kinda, oh, but yeah. I don't. No. Uh, I don't, yeah. Uh, I so one thing I didn't note on is during this conversation with the uh, Cyclops and Xavier is that um, essentially Charles is telling him that this is the moment when Nimrod's going to be online. And essentially Charles is like, this station is like 10,000 miles away from Earth orbiting a sun, orbiting the sun with essentially no way back. He's essentially saying that this is going to be a suicide mission. And that's yeah. when, that's the part I missed when I said, like, does it need to be done? Then I'll do it. And that's the important key factor that I missed here is that essentially Charles said, hey, you're going to die. Can you do this for me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'm down. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, sure. yeah nothing sure. else going on. I, I wasn't really busy today or anything. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah no, he, he really kind of just went into this role of like you know fight or flight and he he decided that he was gonna fight and take on this challenge for not only xavier but it seems like he's got a clear like leader mind in his head of like the true like you were saying earlier the true cyclops where he's like i gotta step up and i gotta be the dude who can actually lead the charge into the breach for the x-men for the people i don't care if i don't make it out but the rest of mutant kind will if i have to sacrifice myself yeah, exactly. So that's cool. I'm excited to see this version of Cyclops. But um, moving forward, we go to year 100. And in year 100, we, are, we start on Asteroid K, and we're, we're met with Wolverine. And Wolverine's talking about uh, these two characters, Scylla Bell 
and Percival, which we're going to find out later who they are. But as of now, just they're mutants, right? I guess, they're mutants. Should, should we talk about them now or should we wait until they're kind of like explained in the story, which I think is like the next Powers of X issue number three? I mean, of note, they, they have striking resemblance to uh, obviously other mutants. Like you can tell that they have lineage in the X-Men like mythos you look at them and you're just like oh one of them looks like they might be related to nightcrawler other one yes. looks like it might be related to maybe colossus magic i, I was getting magic or, but yeah magic, but rasputin bloodline rasputin bloodline yeah yeah like Sorry. that's why i got with the sword but the skin kind of was just like oh, okay that's that kind of has a colossus kind of feel to it the way her skin kind of malle like malleates but you know that's just the thought but that that's really all we can note on them right now all the other stuff is is really more prevalent when we get to that part. And then, so, uh, we're met with these two characters kind of uh, talking with Xavier, uh, Wolverine, and Wolverine's kind of talking to someone, and you see Sila Bell kind of hand off a flash drive-looking thing, and they're passing it off to Apocalypse. And essentially, Apocalypse is saying that this this... This thing, this flash drive type thing, um, kind of contains all the information needed. Um, uh, Essentially, what he says is, uh, all information reduced down to their essence. The machines are composed of pure information, a repository of knowledge. So essentially, everything they need to know about uh, the machines, about the mother mold, is contained within this flash drive for the most part. I mean, they, they explained Apocalypse today. It backed up all of his photos and his music and everything on there. And then it's like, you know, don't lose that. That's the only copy he has. Yes. And, and he, he basked in the glory of, he was like, finally, all of my stuff <laughs> took you guys long <laughs> enough. <laughs> a thousand years to make me a flash drive of all my information. <laughs> finally. But it was interesting to show that he was introduced in a way where he was actually going to be a pivotal role in this overall future mission because, like, they're jumping around timelines. And that was part that caught me real quick where I was just like, oh, wow, we're really getting, like, hot with this timeline story. Like, it's both stories are are heating up at the same time, like, with the same kind of, like, espionage – or not espionage, but excursions kind of building up. And that was a real nice transition because it was just like, oh, an apocalypse is going. He's not sitting this one out. You're going to get some action. Yeah. Um, and then um, we cut to uh, Nimrod, and he's just talking to some minions. Now, Nimrod is you wanna you wanna like give like a brief on Nimrod from like past the past a little bit. I guess the best I could explain him for like the most simplistic terms is like Days of Future Past. All of those robots were kind of like Nimrods. They could morph yes. and change and, yes. and do that. But maybe elaborate a little well, bit more well, on on what he could, what what his potential is, what he could do. So basically, for the most part, the Days Future Past timeline is the best point to kind of reference. Mm-hmm. The whole time travel shenanigans was just a thing that was built on top of what already was going on. Days of Future Past had this whole plot of an X-Men is time traveling in the future. And of course, as Hickman has highlighted, the artificial intelligence doesn't want to be one-upped in any way, shape, or form, so always tries to keep pace with the mutants. And they send a almost Terminator-esque type concept of a robot back of the future to stop 
the past being prevented. I mean, literally, it's around the same time. Wouldn't you say, like, Days of Future Past came out, what, the around the same couple of years as uh, Terminator 1 or 2? Oh, yeah, for sure. One at least, I think. Because it, it has that vibe in it. It really feels like the, the machine being sent to the past to annihilate the person that's trying to save the future. <laughs> Like, that concept is ingrained in it, and that's really inherent in what Nimrod is, because it's a killing machine. Like, Nimrod, straight up, is probably the most advanced Sentinel that the X-Men have ever dealt with. So much that I believe in the uh, second coming storyline, or uh, one of the ones around that, the Messiah Complex even, they have, like, a this crazy time rift that happens, and all these Nimrod pour out, Nimrod pour out and... All the X-Men at that time that lived on Utopia had to fight them. And it was like this massive brawl of just like Nimrod fighting mutant after mutant. Mutants losing their arms. Mutants getting killed. Like Nimrod's getting blown up. It was chaos. I mean, the X-Men have a hard time with just one Nimrod. You put an army of them and it's like it's a bloodbath. So Nimrod is a force to be reckoned with. Just even one of them. And his capabilities are kind of weird. Because he's like a super advanced computer. So or artificial intelligence even. He's a super advanced uh, machine. Uh, his abilities of, of conceptualization are far beyond that of even average intelligence. So he's deadly in so many ways you couldn't even really you couldn't really even hone it in on what his weaknesses are because he can evolve and advance in a way that'll counteract anything you try to do to him. Like the Days of Future Past Sentinel concept of learning is at a level in Nimrod that is rivaled to I have not seen I hasn't seen him really referent or really uh, risen to by any other sentinel model like mm -hmm. maybe some of the more unique ones like omega sentinel and all that kind of stuff but your standard sentinel model it it adapts but in a way that is dwarfed by nimrod's speed like nimrod will adapt as you're attacking the sentinel usually has to take damage then adapt to it nimrod's just like oh countermeasures 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 <laughs> like instantly too yeah, yeah. yeah. Trap card. <laughs> Kaiba, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, it's, it's, it's too funny, man. I'd see the X-Men try to take on Nimrod. It's just like, was it just like watching like a bear bat around like fish. But it, it, it's interesting to see that he's hoisted as the, the main, I guess, the main protagonist for this. Or antagonist, I would say. Because... Nimrod is more of like an emotionless hunter-killer kind of character that's being kind of let off the leash by usually a greater intelligence or a greater control. And in the in Powers of X, he's portrayed as like the mastermind behind a lot of this, like the shot caller. Like he almost feels like the technological response to what Apocalypse is. Like I got that kind oh, of Apocalypse yeah. feel to when I looked at Nimrod, that kind of emboding godlike or godlike. Uh, presence like just uh olympian if you will kind of it's it's crazy to see him like bleeding like that and having these concepts he also seems a little a little like uh i guess you could say weak with his his uh emotional control or or flawed because he he reacts to those humans in a way that is just kind of i don't oh, yeah, know he, he murders arrogant, but it's he just it's straight up weird. murders those vaporizes this human yeah out of out of out of spite like pettiness like yeah i mean we've seen some impressive pettiness and spite from moira but damn like nimrod was just like ah, i don't even know why i have these dudes <laughs> just, it's just you're here to expose how dark i am I like it, but, like, the dudes would know that. I, I I don't know if Nimrod would have a name of being, like, a reasonable, like, overlord. But, you know, they seem pretty nonchalant about it. 
We thought we could pal around with Nimrod, and he got all butthurt and vaporized. <laughs> this is why you have no friends, Nimrod. <laughs> <laughs> Nimrod, this is why you're alone, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he, he's definitely he's definitely a sight to be welcome in, in when it comes to terms of, like, badass robots in the future. I like that they're staying true to that mythos. So Hickman's pulling from good stuff. He's he's doing the he's taking the right things. He's playing with them the right way. He's not going too crazy. He's taking some leaps, but they're not anything where I was just like, all right, I'm done. I'm this is you guys not even trying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they do that so much in some of the earlier comics, like in the decade prior, where it was just like, you guys are not even. Who is writing this? Like, is there like a a monkey on autopilot? Like one of those weird ones you see smoking cigarettes and he's just at a typewriter. <laughs> right. <laughs> what kind of tv gag is this but yeah no it's this is great like what what and what you get to see from nimrod even after this moment where he kills these two guys like what you get to see later on like is some cool stuff it's definitely some cool stuff yeah definitely and then after he kills these two people he sees that the x-men are on board and ready to make their assault and he's he's just prepping right and we're we're taken back to these future X-Men and they're essentially decrypting that information. And there's a moment. It's an interesting. It's like banter right here. Uh, Wolver- yeah, a lot, of, a lot of camaraderie kind of sphere. Building yeah. Here. Wolverine's just like, oh, I wish if I had brains, man, I would be, I would, I would be <laughs> killing everyone already. And then Z- Zorn's being super, super like, like self deprecating and everything. Uh, and it's like, <laughs> okay. So I had a kind of a wizard of Oz moment there with Wolverine where I felt like, it's like, he's going to break into like song. He's like, if I only had a brain, <laughs> what I, I, would do, if I was in control. like he had his own little internal like story about like, I wish I ran things. I'm always someone's like, <laughs> I'm always an underling. Oh man. I, I really feel like, I really feel like Zorn being a, a prominent character here is is the weirdest thing it is to, weird, right? to be brought in it's like that's weird and i find that the weirdest thing in a room where doug douglas ramsey's being piloted by fucking cocoa over there and that's like that's super weird in itself but i yes. can accept that i can accept that because doug lock is pretty much the same thing it's just you know warlock using douglas ramsey as a conduit to kind of merge their powers or utilize his powers. So Krakoa is doing the same thing that Warlock did, but I guess Douglas is dead? They mentioned that he's like a corpse in there? Yeah. So like Krakoa turned into Swamp Thing and then pilots Doug's corpse, I guess? I think that's what's going on, yeah. Yeah, that's how I broke (laughs) it down. Even like in like the the wikis and other pages when they were trying to dive into it a little bit it was just like yeah no he's just dead in there and it's it's really just it's really just Krakoa using Douglas's power <laughs> the poor guy he's all he's got the most bizarrest power set but it's so applicable to other people's uses <laughs> like someone turns him into a computer at one point and there's another time where like he's he's literally just like uh a shield for like deciphering things they just like do your part say say what you need to say or like decipher what you need to decipher then get to the back of the line <laughs> so you don't die because you're practically one like stray bullet away from dying <laughs> <laughs> i understand the language of anything and i'm like well what does that what language does the guy's gun give off death death is what i see <laughs> <laughs> 
that's what that speaks to. That's a cool little group of like people. Like you've got Zorn and yeah. and Krakoa, like all there with, and then a mesh of these like newer generation ones, and then uh, um, weird wannabe Magneto <laughs> is what yeah. I'm gonna call. Her. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I, I like the the homage, and I like the. I guess you could say she's paying homage, but it's still. It's bizarre to me to see it that way. The green, the green is just—it's <laughs> funny. I'm like, are you wanting to be like? Did your daughter die? Is that what? Is this like a, a memorial thing? Right. Because using <laughs> using the green color like scheme, like how a Polaris Polaris? used to, yeah, Polaris used to do, is like it's 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 strange on him because it it just looks like a lazy palette, like a lazy color palette, but. It, it, it's it's symbolism is is at best okay like i really don't i don't feel like they they did a good job with his design i would have kept him i just would have kept him red yeah doing doing this like was just he looks kind of funny he doesn't really have a face did you notice that he doesn't yeah you're right is he, is that more of that ambiguity that he shrouded in? He's going back to his old ways now. Yeah, Lars is dead. He's like the return of my of my dark menacing side. More shadows and my helmet. <laughs> but what are you gonna do? They they're having they're having some fun with these timelines, and I'm appreciating it too. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 definitely. I'm digging digging every moment of this. But essentially, everyone's like, or Wolverine's just like, you know, we're gonna die, and then. Uh, Apocalypse, is, he gives like this this great speech where he's like, we will go and take what we need and then we will return it for I will lead you. Yeah, he's a very William Wallace, like kind of like, let's get to it speech. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> I, I, I definitely I definitely was happy to know that not only was Apocalypse going to be around, like just to interact with everyone, but he was going to be a legitimate team member and he was going to be the point man. He was going to lead them. Right. Yeah. He's not the final boss. He, you fight him round one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It's great. All right. And then we will find out more what happens in year 100 in another issue. But now we jump to year 1000 and in year 1000 gets a little interesting, right? This is where we get these these blue humans, and we're 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 led to believe they're this techno organic virus human mutant hybrid type thing, right? Yeah, it's like the More new evolutionary less. like human like machine. Like it's it's like slowly society just grew into machine exactly hybrids or just interlacing with cybernetics or nanobots. It's just so many different things that are now ingrained into their weird genetic makeup. They rock in that blue kind of reminds me of apocalypse. Rocking that blue hard. Yeah, definitely. And, um, so uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, so essentially what happens is they're met with the phalanx, right? Oh, I should have mentioned that the, yeah. the, the character that we're kind of being shown throughout year 1000 is the librarian and we kind of see her here and there throughout year 1000, but she's going to play a bigger role. And we know uh, when they introduce what happens in Morris six life 
So we'll put that in the back burner for now, but just know that the librarian's kind of like our passenger, our, our character that we see the world of year 1000 through, through her eyes, I guess, kind of. Yeah, it's like kind of the human point of reference that they really want to give you a, a taste of, because it, it's always this three-way struggle between the mutants, the humans, the machines, and, and the machines kind of have their own unique place under the reference of Nimrod and what he's seeing. But then when you come to what the human straight perspective is, hers is really the key point that they try to push it all from. So there is a lot, there's a lot going on, but what the frame of reference we're getting is, is, is right from hers at that point. And that's how they carry it from, from that point forward in the other issues as well. But they, inter they intertwine as well, like Nimrod and her and then the X-Men as well. Yes, correct. And it, I think she mentions in the first panel. Let me go back real quick if I can find it. Uh, yeah, her first the first words out of her mouth were "So Nimrod did it work?" Yeah, and and essentially it's it's she's 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 talking to this orb, which I think this is what Nimrod evolves into. These orbs, which are the world mind, essentially. Right? Yeah. The Nimrod evolves into the world mind, which is a collective, essentially a collective consciousness. Right? And, uh, and, so do we want to dive into the, should we just break down the, well, well, the let's, let's, societies let me to, or, or, or will we do that at the end? Let's that's, that. that's a whole, that's a whole tangent right there. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But let me just finish like this story off for now. What happens okay. is uh, you have these kind of like world mind orb things that I guess are the collective consciousness of everything. And then the phalanx comes and essentially the phalanx just destroys the Nimrods. And they're like, we ate your world mind. We are your hive mind now. What do you want out of this life? And the phalanx is talking to the librarian. And the yeah. librarian just says ascension, and that's that's the end of what we see of year one thousand. And this is when Hickman breaks down. This is no longer a comic. We go into novel form, and Hickman breaks down the types of societies. And this is where things get. <laughs> I like that. It is. It is definitely. It is definitely getting much deeper than what you would expect for a Marvel comic in general. It's it's interesting because like Hickman just is like he's totally like a sci-fi, like a literary sci-fi writer. Where he's he's writing yes. a, he's writing comic yes. and it's just like this this is this can't be a comic. I have to express this in another form, another medium, which I find interesting and kind of necessary when it comes to sci-fi because sci-fi is so heady in many ways. Uh huh. Uh, you oh, need yeah. to you need to break it down with words as much as possible. Yeah, this feels like he's taking more of a page from like Robert Heinlein with like Starship Troopers, like the actual novel, yeah, where yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. much more technical with a lot of the expletive that they give. Which this is this is different. It's refreshing. It's very yeah. unique. It's very unique for for how they're approaching this this series. Absolutely, and we don't see Ascension in this episode. Or I keep saying episode issue. <laughs> uh, she just uh, the librarian just mentions ascension, and that's where we kind of are left off, right? Yeah, that's the that's the big like that's pause on this world for humans, and then they jump over to the the expletive essentially about how the societies and the machines all break down. Yes, that's what that's what we get the lead in is like what what it's like they show you what happened in the comic, like how it all breaks down. But then 
they explain it to you in the final pages. Yes, exactly. So let's dive deep into that now. You you ready for this? You ready oh, to? I'm I'm ready for this. I I read I had to read this like four times. Yeah, okay. I remember I went through it because then like in the end when they added more stuff, I tried to understand how it corresponded to the original build that they were one off. But right. I get it. Powers of ten, it's all coming into play again. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's how it all works. Fucking yep. brilliant. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a, that is that is that is a, oh, such a niche thing. Like they made a they made a mathematical pun in an X Men comic title. Right, right. <laughs> oh, man, only it feels appropriate there. It is appropriate. Still, it's beautiful. It's just like what what a culmination. Absolutely, yeah. So let's let's do this. Let's do the society. So we start off with um, S. Uh, would you say it's S one S one machine, right? Yeah. Okay, so machine, a single machine mind that is a direct copy of an existing sentient mind or represents the equivalent thinking power of a single sentient mind of a species. So this is just a regular, so, like, human, or, like, a human or robot, right? So just, you have a mind. Yeah, if one die, individual being. Yeah, if you die, your mind dies. If the machine dies, the machine dies. Like, there's no, there's no hive mind. There's no collective consciousness. It's just a singular entity controlling a singular physical body, more a, or less. Yeah, just a single form of species intelligence. Because uh, you could still be like an individual intelligence on a greater thing, but if you operate autonomously from the greater thing, you're still an individual intelligence, unless you're, you're networked into it. So it's like you could still break it down. It almost doesn't even have to be a single creature. It just has to be a single-based object that has its own autonomous existence. Exactly. Any artificial intelligence, a human's considered one, an artificial or intelligence like a, considered one, a machine, a sentinel's considered uh, one. Or like, like an amoeba. Or you can get down low. Yeah. An amoeba, yeah. yeah just, just any small, type of smaller, singular yeah. sentient mind. Right. Yeah. All right. And then we move on from there to S. 10 hive mind a collective of individual machines with an unified thinking power of up to 10 machines while there are hives composed of more than 10 machines regardless of which species they are based they are based on ones with more than 10 machines working as a collective begin to fracture and deteriorate as a repressed individuality of each machine overwhelms the hive note Unlike intelligences, hives are mature individual intellects working together that were not created to naturally reach an S1 beyond their machine state. So essentially, a regular individual machine can never become a hive mind. It has to be a collective entity from its advents. Yeah, it's like it's not designed to excel past that either. So it's, it's locked in as its purpose is meant to be a hive in its functionality. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's not upgraded past anything beyond that. That hive mentality locks it in, and its place in the packing order can never be changed. Is at least how I interpret that. Yeah, and it seems like if like how it mentions if a if a hive mind goes beyond ten, it's possible, but it begins to deteriorate. It just seems like it kind of branches off and becomes a separate hive mind from one another after a yeah. while because it becomes too big. Yeah, and it's no yeah. longer a collective. Yeah, exactly, because when you get into the next tier, it gets a little more complex, and, like, it wouldn't just be the amalgamation of hive minds. It would be a much more larger—it would be something based off of the first tier, 
being re-implemented in a grander scale, whereas yes. the hive mind is something unique to its own kind of functionality and design. Like you could see, like drone bots would be a hive mind. Yes, you got a collective have, drones yeah, of, yeah. or yeah, like spider drones, kind of like unique, like little smaller ones that one focus, one task. They just keep doing it over and over again, and they're not going to vary and like evolve into a super intelligent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully those drones won't. That, I mean, I guess, but their their practicality and implication are are like really limited, and their scope is so small. I feel like they're they're set in just one mode, and they're just a bunch of them working together. But they're not particularly intelligent in a in a, a grand fashion. Yes, correct. All right, and that moves us to the next phase: S one hundred to ten thousand. Uh, this is intelligence, and intelligence is a thinking machine created to be an amalgam of at least a hundred machines acting in harmony towards a collective goal. Note the Supremer, aka the Cree. Supreme intelligence is considered mm-hmm. an amalgam of direct copies of Cree philosophers and thinkers that were merged into a singular intellect. So that's the first time I think that Marvel has mentioned this concept as the – I mean the supreme intelligence has been around for a while. It was in yeah. Captain Marvel. But to like kind of like I guess categorize it in this way, it's never been – seen this way before right it yeah it's never been broken down in like the greater scheme of how the uh, artificial intelligent hierarchies work and like how you can demonstrate how machines and intelligence can work in tandem so i feel like this kind of labeling of the the cree supreme intelligence kind of puts it in a nice umbrella and a little easier to grasp i didn't i didn't even think it was anything more than like some sort of unique computer system but I also didn't know it was a, a makeup of like the philosophers and like a bunch of more radical thinkers or unique thinkers of the of the Cree timeline. Right. I, I thought it was just like an actual just like like an artificial create, intelligence. They created it like a super they made a supercomputer or something. <laughs> yeah. All I can think of is Moses when I look at it because it's that the super best friends episode from South Park where they yes. Have, and so every time they show the Capri, the Cree supreme intelligence in the comics, I just picture it's you like, see, oh. like the the Tron like <laughs> yeah the Tron yeah exactly it's so ridiculous sorry I I, uh, I dig the I dig the concept of what the supreme intelligence is though and how they use it and how it uses the Cree it's funny. They've had some weird stories about nonsense that it's pulled and they and then they've been kind of hustled by. But yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to think of because then you're like, okay, does that mean there are other that other things that kind of meet that criteria? Like I'm sure there's stuff out there that's similar to the Cree uh, supreme intelligence that we could put under this category as well. I just feel this is their first time labeling something like this, like bringing it into that kind of fold. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are more that they'll point to later on. Like the Phalanx is another one, but that's farther down. Phalanx that's is, another yeah, another already existing thing that they brought into this, which is kind of cool. So what I'm trying to think, what else would be, uh, what would else would be considered uh, a, a a an intelligence um, based off of this category in the Marvel universe at this moment? Um, I can't think of anything else at the moment. Supreme intelligence is. Oh. How, uh, who is like an amalgamation of like a bunch of machines or mechs or, or like androids or cybernetic biological biological beings? Uh... Hmm. Yeah, because nothing. Uh... No, yeah, because all the 
the symbiote stuff, the Chitari or whatever they're called, they're they're individualized, even though the greater like symbiote gods and all that or God can control them and they pull ways to them, but they still have they don't function like that. They don't work like as like a greater intelligence. And what is it? The what were the weird Oh my gosh, I should know this. Yeah, the Chitari would be more like a hive mind than an intelligence. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, those were the ones from the Avengers. They're whatever the the symbiote race is, but and oh, the Clintar, the, the Clintar. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. And then um, what's the the Brood? I mean, kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Brood. Yeah. They're more biological and not so much because it says machines acting. Yeah, so you have to achieve a, a certain amount of ascension before, or at least technological like advancement. To yeah, cons- and I. I can't think of any other characters in the Marvel universe that have kind of like an amalgamation of machines or AI. Well, what is what is considered a machine in this context? Because like the techno organic virus is considered a machine, but they're kind of like a amalgamation of humans and technology at the same time, right? Yeah, but that that's reclassified, I think, in the next page, right? The techno the techno. Oh yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, just yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the the greater ones, yes. Like that's why I said the phalanx earlier. Like I was like I could see these in in grander scales. And they classify them as such, but I can't find anything on the same level as supreme intelligence that would fit that category. Right. I All don't right. think there really is like a defined yeah, one. Could, I don't think we, so. we dig hardcore on that one, but not off the top of anyone's head. Not, not off the top of my head for sure. Definitely. But Most moving things. moving on to <laughs> moving on to ten thousand, S ten thousand. Yeah. Uh Technarchs. Technarchs. Yep. An artificial collective intelligence manufactured by a phalanx that was created to classify, order, and assimilate other existing societies. This removal, repurposing of societies is a technarch's sole purpose. A technarch exists as a singular node, often taking the shape of a world, but can be any series of planetary objects or formations called the Kavich. How would you pronounce that? Kavich. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go Kavich. So each Kavich is controlled by an alpha intelligence called the Magus. Each technarch believes it is the only technarch in existence. (laughs) Technarchs are invisible to to other technarchs. So what happens when a technarch meets a technarch? I guess they just keep going on. They don't even care. They just don't even <laughs> yeah. acknowledge each other? They even like they probably pass through each other like as if they're nothing. Like they just kind of flow over each other. I don't even I don't know how that even works. Like what are they what if one technarch is assimilating another thing and another thing is getting assimilated or that thing is getting assimilated by another technarch? Exactly. Like, do they like meet they have like a lady in the tramp like moment where they meet in the center. In the center and kiss, yeah. <laughs> or just rip whatever that is in half. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've simulated enough of this. Uh, we're done here. Uh, to simulate. Ah, she's just. <laughs> so what was was Warlock? He was like a he was a he's a phalanx or no? He was a part of the technarch. Technarch, right? Was he like a he was a part of a ma- he was like a magus or something? I can't remember. I know he was. A part of like the, the weird like, technoarchy like phalanx people, their their weird amalgamation, whatever they are, that that weird biomechanical goop of gold and black colonizing um, energy. According <laughs> so, to so, uh, uh, Wikipedia, um, Warlock is a member of the alien technarchy, a okay. race of mechanical organisms. 
Okay. Survive by infecting cre- living creatures with the techno-organic transmode virus. Which they are the offshoots of what the fa- the phalanx creates them. Essentially, I think I think that this technarchy is what kind of where Hickman's getting this concept and delving into this concept of technarchy from a little bit. Yeah, and then what, what's the magus again? Because it's, it's just the controller of of the technarchy. But so, what is the magus? It doesn't really explain what the magus is, though. Yeah, I, I'm trying because if it's if it's like the helm like, of the technarch that controls the whole symbiosis of, of artificial intelligences, then would that mean that the magnet, the magus, is a step above, or is it just a part of the technarch? Like it's it's they they're all supposed to exist together. One like regulates the other. Okay, uh, according to fandom wiki, uh, okay. the Magus was a ruler of the Kvitch, a homeworld of the Technarchy, and its most powerful being. When his son Warlock fled the homeworld due to his fears of having to rate to face his father in mortal combat, the Magus pursued him to Earth in order to kill him. Arriving on Earth following winter in the form of the meteorite impacting near near the oh, expansion. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, I remember that from the animated series. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, you know what? This is coming back to me. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's like essentially like kind of like a herald for the the for the phalanx for the phalanx essentially. Yeah, because he he's or 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 even better, he's like a shepherd for the phalanx. He's supposed to keep watch over the actual technoarchy and like the the actual alpha intelligence. Or it, or that it's an alpha intelligence that controls the the higher the other intelligences below it. Right. That's why he went after him because he was like, "All right, warlock, you have a role to play here." It's just funny that they have that kind of. I mean, well, I guess warlock was an anomaly. He was quote unquote a mutant in his own species because of the way he thought, and that's why they let him on the new mutants. I was like, that was a weird reasoning, but I, I dug it enough. Yeah. And, uh, and really, it, it's just weird to see that because if if they're all pretty obedient, I wonder why a Magus is really even needed. I mean, how many times has something like Warlock ever happened? According to him and what I've read before in the wiki, not not really often. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, one thing I didn't note is that the first three types that we uh, discussed, machine, hive, and intelligence, are considered planetary uh, societies. Whereas what we're talking about now, technarchy and beyond, are considered galactic societies. Oh, okay. I see so, what you mean. Yeah, because yeah, it, it exists in much of a larger scale. Like you, you pull it back from like even planetary orbit going into different star systems. Oh yeah. yeah I see what yeah. you mean. Yeah. All right. So moving on to S one hundred thousand is World Mind, which is what the X Men are trying to stop, or what they were teased in this in this issue. A World Mind is a celestial object, commonly a planet, that has been wholly converted into a singular intellect. These intellects possess a godlike intelligence and act on a timeline of millennia. On the Kardashev scale, a world mind represents a type two civilization. Do you know what that means? Uh, I honestly, I looked it up when it happened a while back, but then I actually forgot it like instantly. <laughs> Let's see the Kardashev scale. Let's see. Kardashev scale. 
But it's, it's measuring a civilization's level of technological advances based on the amounts of energy. This measure was proposed by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev in 1964. Oh, all right. yeah. All right, yeah. So Hickman's just pulling on concepts from from scientists in real life and bringing what it year? into this. So 1964. 1964. Yes. Oh, good times. Cold War era scientists. Cold War era scientists. They had they had a gun <laughs> behind their back. That's that's <laughs> that's definitely a way to get progress. <laughs> that is a way to make things move forward. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I like how he kind of melded it into that, though, and how he breaks down what measures the actual sizes of the different intelligence. According to the Kardashev scale, there's planetary civilization, stellar civilization, and galactic civilization. So for the, oh. sake, for the, for the sake of X-Men, it seems like he completely removed the stellar civilization, which is can use and control energy at the scale of a solar system. So one solar system's worth. Instead of uh, just one planet. So yeah, you've got planetary civilization, right? That controls a planet. Then stellar civilization that controls, controls the a solar, system. solar system. Yeah. The Milky Way, yeah. Or yeah, like, like our solar system. Yeah, the Milky whatever, Way, yeah. Whatever souls. And then the galactic civilization is the whole galaxy. The whole Milky Way galaxy if it was Or this, just... Or whatever galaxy it is. It would be... Um, it would be... Wouldn't it be like uh, us in the Andromeda? No, because the dramedy is uh, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. So but wouldn't it be multiple though, or just I, one? Just I the think Milky... it's just one galaxy, right? So that's the idea. Like the technarchy, like if the Andromeda Technar- the Andromeda galaxy technarchy met with the Milky Way technarchy, what would happen? <laughs> they, they wouldn't even know each other were there, I guess. So, so I guess it ends at that that level at a at a, a at a uh, at the scale of galactic. At a Fair. galaxy level, so it's Fair not enough. universal. It's not like uh, no, it's it's not like you control the entire universe. You just control the Milky Way galaxy. Yes, and then and then in the solar scale, you just control that solar system, our sun-based solar system, Earth solar system, and then planetary-wise, you would just control Earth. I get it. Okay, I was just curious as I was like, how does the other? What if you have like? Can you control two galaxies? Right. Is there anything yeah. for that, or is that like? Is there anything bigger? Well, we have the last one, which is uh, let's let's just go straight to that S one hundred thousand. Wait, where did the mouse go? Oh, there it is. Okay, uh, no, one million S one million. Uh, a phalanx. phalanx. Yep. Yeah, a phalanx is an interstellar society that operates on a galactic scale and represents an intellect that has a total control of a host galaxy. At this level. Of society, an intellect exists only to expand its own intelligence by consuming lesser societies and to control the energy needs that expands demands. If a phalanx encounters a society that is worth consuming by adding it to its intelligence needs, then ascension occurs. If a phalanx encounters a society that is not worth adding to its collective, then it will secede that society with a techno-organic virus. This virus will eventually produce a babel spiral spire that will summon the technarch to remove, repurpose that society's waste from the universe. Damn, that's so brutal. I don't even <laughs> want you to be a part of us. You can just go away. Right? Wow. Technarchs do not know that they were manufactured to serve the phalanx's cause. True. That's true. I, I always forget about that. 
So that's interesting. So you could just consider... even the Magus not know? I wonder. Right. I mean, he's an alpha intelligence, so he would be the smartest, but maybe even he doesn't know. Maybe he could... he's just a cog in the wheel. He's just a cog in the wheel, I think. Controlling the... the uh, controlling the world mind, more or less. Or not the world mind. Uh, uh, what's it called? Is it Technarch? Technarch. Yeah, the te- yeah, the Technarch. Um, and not even knowing that there's a higher power above them that could be controlling like their needs and desires. So the phalanx seeds those things like, oh, you're not worthy. Here, here's a virus. Almost kind of like the celestial seeding planets in many ways. Yeah, it's 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 a very unique like paradigm. I, I appreciate what he's kind of taken lengths to build here. But what's the deal with the the unique like the unique scientific symbols that he uses to represent? Like the the different types of uh, that I do not hierarchies. Know. Like I was I was really taken aback by that. I was like, wow, he he really added some legit like science. It looks really cool. Based, based uh, makeup to it. Like it's really something that I couldn't expect. I couldn't expect from like a basic a basic Hickman story. Like I know he writes twists and turns, but like this was this was new even for Hickman. It's, 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 it's really it's very, like almost like the atomic structure in many ways you see um but i don't know i don't i don't i don't know if this represents anything it just looks kind of cool i feel like i feel like he's trying to he's trying to break like a down like a, like a movement process it almost reminds me of like a circuit board or some sort of travel of like energy and like he's just in the final one, he's showing how like the technarchy can jump to the phal- the phalanx goes from there, and then you have the world mind in between. <laughs> I'm like, from, wow. from from what I'm looking at, it looks like so. You look at machine, right? You see kind uh-huh. of like a tiny dot revolving around a giant dot, and what I see is kind of like remember the machine is its own entity, right? So if the collective mind is the thing in the center. And the 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 dot on the outside orbiting the collective mind is its own consciousness. It's not connecting to the center, aka the uh, collective consciousness, because it's a, its own entity. But when you w- move down to hive mind, you see it's kind of starting to connect to that collective consciousness a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, this is all visual, so this is just my assumption of it. But yeah. it seems like he's. He's kind of showing you a visual representation of what this is because this is, these are heady concepts. Like even even a sci-fi fan is gonna like read this a couple times to understand exactly what they're getting at. So like v- visual representations are definitely necessary. I like that it gives you like multiple different hive minds and yes. which is interesting. The intelligence. See, I don't get the intelligence because the intelligence is. It seems like, oh, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. That doesn't make sense at all. I'm confused. So it seems it's all like feeding into the collective consciousness is feeding into multiple different consciousnesses from the outside, but there's also that revolving dotted line on the, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. (laughs) It it looks like there's like a, a more of a layer of consciousness that feeds into the greater collective consciousness. So there's one main consciousness that's receiving a direct input from like the, well, there's there's the inner consciousness is what I'm looking at in the center, and then going up from that is a just standard main consciousness that I think would be like all the average intelligences. Right. And then on top of that, the outer one would be like a probe or 
I guess, extended type of intelligence that kind of deals as like a outer shell of understanding that feeds what it knows to the inner circle, which then feeds it to another inner circle, I guess, is the Damn. best way to explain it. Sure. <laughs> it's like you, they've got double intelligent breakdown filtering. It's like maybe you could say like a satellite and then in the center there's the ground crew and then there's this there's the main intelligence that's in the center of the earth. Like you could have people on earth and then above them would be the satellite and then the center of the earth could be like a supercomputer. That's like a really layman's term way of breaking it down. Yeah. But that I mean, but it has a whole intelligence that functions like that. Like it, that's just a physical representation, but imagine if it was a symbiotic intelligence that had parts of itself that understood things and interpret it down the chain. Mm. Which yeah. is still really convoluted. And then when you look at the final one, I'm just like, this reminds me of like a weird play on like skeletal structures or like I said, circuit boards. Like chemi- chemistry skeletal, skeletal uh, structures. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm looking at it and it looks like the world mine is operating autonomously from what the phalanx is doing because the phalanx is out creating more technarchs. Yeah. And the world mind has no in between to that. It's it. weird that they seed uh, like the phalanx seeds technarchs instead of yeah. seeding world minds. You would think it would go straight to world minds, but rather it seeds technarchs, which then evolves into world minds eventually. I imagine. Yes. Exactly. It's crazy. <sighs> it's 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 definitely it's a lot. It is. And I probably still won't 100% get it for many years. And then eventually one day I'll be like, oh, I get what he's going for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one day. It all makes sense. You got me. Oh, it's good stuff, though. I mean, I, I really feel like this is out of left field. Like, I was not expecting anything like this in these chapters. When I heard him writing, like, different stories about the different lives of Moira, I was like, all right, well, how's that going to play out? And then he goes and does, like, this in Powers. And you're like, well, this okay. is something surprising, too. Like, <laughs> Right? You take like it, he, you, he literally right. he, he 10x's your confusion like one after another which is interesting you're just like well fuck these are a lot of lives to understand and like to follow and then he's like well if you thought that was hard check this out we're gonna go a thousand years into a few fu- into the future and show you how how everything's kind of coming together and you're just like well okay and then you could say that the the first the first rendition of like how the intelligence builds like the first three are are very complex, but then he's like, we can still keep going, and we can still keep going. Yeah. And he builds on it, and you get up to points that just excel. But it doesn't let down. It it is all in base ten, so yeah. <laughs> everything goes up. It everything stays true up. to its name. Yeah, powers of ten. Who would have thought? Powers yeah. of of Roman numeral X. There you go. <laughs> powers. It, of every, both Roman both people X. win. You still get to call it X, and it's still a number. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, and then so uh, this issue ends with a lot of information, but it all all these issues ends with a quote, and this quote is, "You must see by now there is no you and I. There is only us. We are together. We are, uh, we are, we are together, or we are nothing." And this quote is from Professor X, which is very fitting for this episode. I said it again. I said it again. Episode it. issue issue very <laughs> fitting for this issue considering. <laughs> It's all about collective consciousness. This episode of Podcast Z. <laughs> this episode of Podcasts Roman X. numerals 10 to the power of X. 
<laughs> it's oh. brought to you by me undies. No. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> Not, yet. Not, yet. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Um, but that concludes Powers of X or Powers of Ten, whatever you want to call it. Um, that concludes this issue. What do you think of this issue? Um, it it was different enough from House of X where I I liked I liked it. It didn't feel like they were still trying to build the same kind of hype, but they created a whole new world of different hype that I, I was not <laughs> expecting. So now I'm like, I'm excited for like, okay, how, how do you, how do you now explain what's the relevance of the different types of galactic intelligences and how they play into the end of the world? And then how do you explain the different lives of Moira? So we're seeing, it's like a race to find out what, what's, what, what are you going to find out first? Like what's going to reveal itself first? So you're racing to want, you're racing to want to know it now. You're racing to want to devour that. So I liked it. It built up like if this was released at the same time as the other issue was House of X, it would have been a perfect like week. You'd have been like, this is great. I'm so excited to see what comes out next week. It's just unfortunate they were two weeks apart. But still, yeah, it was a great issue. I, I still am I'm still mixed. I think they're both just as good as each other. But I, I would say this definitely was a was a great issue and still a great show of what's to come. Definitely. Definitely. I agree with everything you just said and i'm excited i'm excited to see how uh hickman kind of plays with these ideas of like uh different type of civilizations as as we go on through the series through dawn of x and x-men and marauders and everything else um should be interesting should be interesting i want to see how he kind of rolls all of this in in the future yeah because well. he still really hasn't even with what's currently coming out hasn't really touched on I mean, they, they touch more on the upcoming issues about the intelligence and the role it plays, but there's still an even greater role that they haven't even scratched yet. So that's I'm still very excited. Even reading these now, I'm like, oh, man, when he when this pays off 100 percent, we're going to get some good results. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely agree. And it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. But that is it for Powers of X issue number two and then Powers of X. Issue number three, we're going to learn a little bit about Apocalypse. We're going to learn a little bit about the origins of Nimrod. And we're going to find out some pretty pretty cool things. But that's that's for next week. That's for, ne- that's for a different next day. episode. On the next episode. <laughs> Powers of X. Powers of X. Apocalypse. De- <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Cool. But that's be- it. What was that? So he'll make it. He might die, but he might also make it. He might make it. We'll see. We'll see. Make it after all. He just might make it after all. <laughs> he might just make it after all. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Is picture apocalypse doing like apocalypse like after that. Like, that's in his head. Like just murder and chaos is happening, and but in his head he's just like do 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 oh, yeah. do. do, do. <laughs> It's like that. Uh, what was that? Uh, the uh, Dragon Ball Z abridged, where uh, Nappa is just like punching people, and like in his head, he's just like singing a song. It was. It was like, like the theme song to like Baby's Day Out or some like really weird, like very child friendly movie, and he was just humming it. And yeah. It was his head while he just like ripped jets in half and blew up like helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> that was that. That was good. That that show never never fails. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's Apocalypse in a nutshell. 
Oh, good times. Uh, good times ahead. That will be a fun good one. Good times ahead. Fun one, but yeah. also an, uh, a slightly jaded one. But it'll be a fun we'll one. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot to talk about that. But uh, that'll conclude this week's episode. And we'll catch you next time for more House of X and Powers of X. Catch you guys later. 